most people that see it from afar probably see us as being, you know, low lifes. We're, you know, we're villainized that, oh, you're, you're out there because you're bad people. But the truth is, it's it could be you next. Everybody has a different story. I can't speak for every person, but every person has a different story and they're not all their own doing. This is the Seattle Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff Shulman, and today you'll get to hear some of those stories from members of the rising homeless population in Seattle. Today's in-depth interviews will give you an inside look into life on Seattle's streets and in a tent city. The interviews with the members of the homeless communities will give you a micro-level view of the homeless challenge facing Seattle. Today's episode also features an expert opinion on how to address this challenge from Marty Hartman. Marty is the executive director of Mary's Place, which recently teamed up with Amazon to transform a vacant hotel into a family shelter. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know it is about how economic and population growth affects residents, businesses, and city leaders. Previously on the Seattle Growth Podcast, we examined what it takes to buy a home in Seattle and how that has changed in recent years. You heard from Rob Wasser, a member of the Northwest MLS Board of Directors. It was a house, uh, again, torn down, sold in March of 2014 for $475,000. Uh, two townhomes were put up in its place. Uh, one sold recently at 735000 The other one is currently pending at almost 740000 this price. Those are 1,460 square feet, three bed, two and a quarter bath. You also heard from Brad Everett, a mortgage broker with Caliber Home Loans. People are getting more and more aggressive as far as what they're willing to do when they get into an offer situation. Um, so certainly over the last couple months, you know, how do you compete with an all-cash offer, right? So when you go in there, you say, well, gosh, I'm pre-approved. Okay, great, you're pre-approved. You know what? I'm going to waive my financing. Uh, we're going to waive our inspection contingency. So really you have buyers who need a mortgage going into the process and waiving all their protections in hopes of beating out everyone else. So on one end of the spectrum, there are people in Seattle buying homes for over $700,000 with all cash offers. And as we transition to this episode, we focus on the other end of the spectrum, where there are people who do not have homes at all. And the residents of Seattle are noticing the rise in this homeless population. Take, for example, Janie Hendricks, CEO of Experience Hendricks, and sister to the late great musician Jimi Hendrix. Well, unfortunately, I think I've seen more and more homeless on the streets, which really saddens me. I think there should be really a place for them, and I think there should be facilities for uh, mental illness, more facilities that are made available, and perhaps even more housing, affordable housing. Um, I think that's what I would really like to see in the city. And it is affecting how Seattle attracts businesses. As Parker Ferguson, founding partner at commercial real estate service firm Flynn Ferguson, pointed out. The homeless uh, situation is something which I don't have. It's it's pretty easy to recognize the problem. Uh, Trying to figure out what the solution is is entirely different. Uh, But I think that it needs to be addressed. You know, there, there are tents on the sidewalks and people using the street as their restroom, and I think that that is going to have a negative impact on tourism and business development. When we we uh, help people with their um, commercial space needs, and so when we take a prospect that's thinking about moving their company to Seattle, and we show a building, and in front of the building are five boxes with 16 people living in it, 
and uh, a couple of shopping carts and using the, the gutter as a bathroom and having a pretty disregard for the rules. I think that's, uh, again, I don't know the answer on how to help the, help the people, but I don't think that having two different sets of rules and regulations is the right answer. If we're gonna have the rules in place for a reason, then we need to enforce them. If we need to build more shelters, then maybe we need to do that. If we need to build less shelters and not make it, seems like we're very accommodating because we feel guilty. On the macro level, homelessness appears to be an intractable problem. Today, I'll bring you a micro level perspective from individuals who are living and breathing it. And I'll also bring you perspective from someone working tirelessly to address the challenges of homelessness. My first interview is with Ty Sanders, who I met outside City Hall. I'm outside City Hall with Ty Sanders. Where'd you move here from? Uh, actually, I moved here from Oklahoma. So, you know, by word of mouth, you know, from a friend, you know, I had to come up here and check it out for myself. And, and he says it's every, you know, thing that, you know, everybody said it is. So I'm up here trying to give it a run and see what it has to offer for me. And hopefully, good Lord's will, it might pan out in the long run. And if it does, I'm here to stay for the long haul. And, and maybe that, you know, my seed can sit there and see it and we can, you know, keep on prospering, you know, in this beautiful city. But it is beautiful. And, and where, uh, when did you move here? Uh, actually, I've been here for probably about four months now, so about four months. You know, it's one reason I came up here, you know, they said they're eating, so I brought my fork. You know what I mean? So hopefully that, you know, I can have the opportunity, you know, to, you know, better my situation and, 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 and you know, eat good like everybody else is eating good. And what were your friends telling you that got you to come out here? Um, that the jobs are good, you know. I mean, like I said, they said that, you know, everybody's eating up here, so that's why I came up here. So I like to eat, so I wanted to come up here and eat with everybody else. <laughs> and have you found work? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, what have you found? I'm um, actually I'm sitting here working uh, for MID, the downtown cleaning crew. So I got the opportunity to venture off into that. How hard was it to find work once you got here? I mean, uh, if your background and everything is up to par, then you know the jobs is not hard to find here. They're, they're, doors are opening and. and you know, it's all depending on what you're looking for, you know. But it's here if you want it. And so where do you live? Do you live in the city? Um, actually, you know, I'm my current situation, you know, I'm, I'm homeless. But, you know what I mean, I have a job and I have uh, other opportunities down the way, other situations that are lined out, you know. But, you know, patience is the key. You got to be patient and, you know, everything will fall in place when you least expect it. But, yeah. And what kind of resources are available to you uh, being homeless here in Seattle? Uh, there's tons. I mean, they're posted everywhere you go. You know, I mean, you, you're crazy if you don't, you know, take the opportunity to, you know, I mean, take advantage of it because I don't think there's any other place in the country that is like Seattle right now. You know, and, and, and Seattle will put you in a situation where, you know, you can put yourself, you know, on your feet. You know, it's all what you're looking for, you know what I mean? You know, it's depending on what your goals is. But if you got any kind of goals and, you know, you set them high, man, they're here. You know, you just got to keep on grinding and eventually, you know, that door will open up, you know, because like they say, 99% of the jobs are non-advertised by us. It's by word of mouth. It's all who you know to get where you're going. And maybe, you know, you might put yourself into, you know, that that small job that, you know, it, it's putting money in your pocket, but, you know, you're not getting rich, but you might bump into somebody in that situation that'll turn around and, you know, open up another door for you. And as long as you keep on grinding and doing what you're doing, eventually you, you'll reach your goal and get to the top. Where have you been able to find shelter? 
Uh, it's everywhere, you know. You got you got City Hall. You 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 know you got the Queen Anne. You got it. Just all depends, you know. Like I said, it, it's posted everywhere, you know. And you just got to do your do your research, and you know, and find a spot that is comfortable for you. You know, the elbow room and the space, you know, so you can do what you got to do to better your situation, you know. But there's there's many resources out here, and there's many shelters out here. You know, and it's all what you're looking for, you know. But other than that, it's here. And have you been able to find a community of people in your situation? Uh, yeah, there's 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 a lot of people um, that are out here that is in the same similar, uh, similar situation that I am, you know. And, and, you know, we're all out here trying to grind, you know. Everybody has their lane that they're in, you know. I have the lane that I'm in, and I'm, I'm trying to run full steam ahead. And they have their lane, and they're running full steam ahead. And hopefully, you know, maybe... Within the next six months or to a year, however long it takes, that you know, when we're walking down the street, bumping to them same people that was in the same similar situation as you, you know what I mean? And they can sit there and tell your story, how you came here and you went from the bottom. And hopefully, you try to go to the top. And so, what are you doing to try to get to the top? First, it starts it starts off by hitting that alarm clock and wake and waking up. You know what I mean? You gotta you gotta put effort into it because you know nobody's nobody's gonna hand you anything out here. You know you gotta get up here and you gotta grind lights out every day. You know, and you keep on grinding out lights out every day. And like I said, that you know, the opportunities to open up, doors to open up, you know what I mean? And, you know, some people might be in situations that they might have felonies. Everybody's circumstances is different. But if they keep on digging and, 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 and looking and start, and start just going off of what so-and-so said and this and this and this, you know, if you go out there and, and get you get a bus pass or orchid cart and start hopping on some of these buses, you know, and, and, and just venture out and you'll see there's more out there. You know what I mean? A lot of people say, well, Seattle's expensive. Yeah, I get it. You know what I mean? But then and again, it's like I said, it's all who you bump into to put yourself in that situation. You know, you just got to keep on hitting here, hitting here, and hitting here. And after a while, you know, something will wind up pending out for you because there, there is there's places out there, you know what I mean, that accommodate your situation or whatever you're sitting there trying to get a hold of, you know, to benefit you. But it is out here. I've I seen it and I'm still seeing it. You know, it might not be on a large scale where it's like it's putting a dent in the numbers for people that are homeless out here, but it's 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 out there. I see the stories, I, I bump into friends and all da da da, and they're doing the same thing like everybody else is. You got to keep on grinding, and you never know, because you wake up that next day and you hit that corner, and you might you might get that blessing. And when you do get that blessing, you know, take the opportunity to run with that blessing. Just keep on grinding. That's, nice. the, only thing, that's the only thing you can do. What do you hope to see in Seattle as it continues to grow? I just hope the city continues to grow and, you know, keep on giving people the opportunity, you know, to put themselves in a better situation, you know what I mean, and, and let everybody eat on all levels, you know what I mean, because there's different levels, you know, everybody ticks a certain way, you know, and I just hope they keep on giving the opportunities and the resources and so people can keep on doing what they got to do to, you know, better their situation. Ty, thank you so much. Really appreciate the opportunity to meet you and hear your story. All right, appreciate it. My next interview is with Stu Tanquist. I met Stu during my visit to Tent City 7. He is a resident there, an advocate for ShareWheel. Share stands for Seattle Housing and Resource Effort, and you can learn more about it at sharewheel.org. I'm here with Stu Tanquist at Tent City 7. He's a camp advisor here. Stu, thank you for joining me today. Uh, you're welcome. Glad to, uh, glad to have you here. Stu, maybe you could tell me a little bit about yourself. 
All right. Well, I am uh, uh, was a longtime uh, employee in terms of uh, emergency medical care uh, and health care. I uh, went into business for myself for about 15 years uh, in the recession, got clobbered um, and uh, fell into homelessness. So I've been a resident at Tent City 3 for about eight months and uh, been here uh, since we started. It's been a couple weeks now. Do you mind rewinding us back there and, and talk about what struggle you faced at that time? Uh, yeah, and I, I think like like many people, there's complicating, you know, multiple complicating factors, you know, so uh, so divorce, financial issues related to that, and uh, and and then when the recession hit, you know, I had my own business, but all of a sudden, you know, big corporations were no longer contracting with people like me, so the revenue dried up. Um, I still had, you know, had a house to take care of, had a daughter to raise, that sort of thing, and uh, I just wasn't able to pull out of it. And so. Where did you go when you found yourself unable to afford the home you lived in? Uh, let's see. So I um, actually was able to make some money, stay on my own, uh, you know, get back up for a while, um, crash back down. But I, I stayed with friends, stayed with family, and uh, you know, didn't want to wear out my welcome, and so um, you know, decided to, to you know make my own way, so to speak, and. Uh, uh, I've done this before as a kid. I was a runaway, and uh, so I, I knew I, you know, I know how to live on the streets. I, I was assuming I was actually out here looking under bridges, you know, trying to find my spot. And then I found out about the tent cities, and that's uh, that's how I landed there. And so, tell me about life in the tent cities. Uh, the tent cities are, I think, a really unique uh, situation. They're they're democratic. They're self-managed. Uh, there's a sense of community. Uh, I mean, people develop, you know, a sense of dignity. You know, it, it's it's just a wonderful environment. Every week, as a community, we come together. We meet. We have. Uh, we can make motions. We vote. So we make our own decisions that impact our lives in in our own future. And it's it's just really powerful. And if there's something that you know one of us doesn't like, we can talk to folks. We can motion and change it the next meeting. I really like it. I really like the people, uh, and and I really like what we're doing. You know, trying to create a safe place for people. You know, and uh, providing shelter, safety, and a sense of community, dignity, all of that. So. so you came into poverty in the Great Recession, and now things are really picking up here in Seattle from a macro perspective, from the outside looking in. Talk about, from your perspective, how is this changing your life? Uh, well, what I see happening here is happening all over the place. That you know, the influx of money, the priorities are are focused on profit, not people. You know, gentrification. Uh, as I walk around this town, you know, I have some money in my pocket. I, you know, uh, but most of these places I can't afford. I can't afford to eat somewhere. I, you know, uh, and you know, I just walk by and look in them, and I just see that it's just getting worse and worse. What I don't see. Are are uh, are the government and so forth addressing the root causes? So uh, you know, as rents are skyrocketing, cost of living is going up. Um, just more and more people are falling into poverty, into homelessness. So I just see this this is a trend in the wrong direction. So. And have you seen changes in the number of people or the stories of where the people come from that are in your community here at the Tent City? 
Uh, well, we have people from all walks of life, and over the past eight months, I, I don't know if I could say I see a trend in that. I see, um, I just, you know, the stories are just, just amazing, you know, the reasons people are here. Um, and for, for some folks, they, you know, haven't had a chance their whole life. Other people were doing well, got clobbered, and lots of things in the middle. Um, but uh, but it's, it's obviously continuing. I mean, more, pe- more and more people falling into homelessness. And what do you see for yourself as it relates to the city of Seattle for the next five years? Well, my frustration with the city of Seattle and the county, which we're, we're out here protesting both, is that the rhetoric is in, inconsistent with actions. You know, for us, we need about 12000 a month to, to make up our budget gap. And we look at, you know, how long could that carry us? So, so we hear all the talk about the state of emergency, um, but what happened with that is, um, so, so there's some efforts made, some initiatives that don't, they're not addressing the root causes of homelessness, right? So, so people continue to fall into homelessness. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of talk, but they, they won't fund existing shelters, right? We have thousands of people in this town alone on the streets every night without shelter. And uh, and so you know, so it's a state of emergency, but but the action doesn't isn't consistent. So help me understand the importance of a shelter. Well, I spent uh, last winter in a tent, right, and uh, just, you know lived outside all winter, and the difference is night and day. I mean, I've lived outside before without a tent. It's not it's not much fun. But the, interestingly, uh, you know, we were applying for funds from the county they had a they had like three hundred thousand dollars of money for shelter uh but it's a competitive bidding process and uh and so we got shot down and, and we're just i mean share is bare bones grass roots were by far the cheapest per per you know about five bucks per person per night dirt cheap um, but we were told we're not competitive enough in the bidding process. We also got told twice uh, in this in writing and in person in the Chinook building here. Well, actually, twice in writing that tents are not shelter, right? That which is just bizarre. I mean, to in my tent there were there were some days I woke up and the inside inside of my tent was all frost, right? If I were outside. Right, you know that's that's hypothermia, you know that kind of thing. Especially with the rains we get, without that tent, it would have been horrible. And I, you know, for all these people out here trying to survive in that, and that's why we're here is providing safety, shelter to get people out of the elements, and and so so people, you know, can try to get back on their feet to give them a chance to do that. So. For somebody who drives by and, and sees these tents, but but never gets a chance to hear the stories within them. Help them understand the importance of tent cities. Well, I would. What I would start with is realizing that most people in this country are one crisis away from where we are, right? That we're no different than anybody else. Um, we're, we're people that got clobbered sooner, and so another big recession, you know, uh, or people that have a major medical problem, you know, divorce, finance, some type of crisis. A lot of people live in check to check or don't have much of a, of a buffer. People naturally have the kind of us versus them mindset. That's how we're wired. And they view us as a them without realizing that we're all us. One big thing, and they're going to be looking for Tent City, and, and, and I am so thankful that, that this exists. In fact, it's because of Cher uh, and the struggles they've done over the last 26 years, the struggles that this is actually 
legal. Well, we're this is this is uh, a direct action camp, so uh, illegal in the First Amendment or legal in the First Amendment sense. Um, but but our other uh, encampments are are actually sanctioned. They're legal. They're permitted. And the you know the fact that we have that uh, uh, speaks volumes of the you know people before us. In a sense, we're standing on the on the shoulders of giants. So. And if you could get you know somebody who's walking down the street to understand what they could do to help or to make your life better what what would you say well obviously there's there's the essentials you know the you know within an encampment you know somebody living outside you know what do we need we need you know food we need tents we need tarps you know there's things like that where people could help uh, at uh, uh, kind of the ground level but we also need to pressure our public officials right to step up to and and to follow through on on the rhetoric and uh, because the top levels of government what matters is money and votes and that's where people can help put the pressure on public officials to to actually do something and to f not not only to provide shelter for people but to stop the madness right to to address root causes rather than just just allowing people to keep falling so do you have any thoughts as to what should motivate them? You know, selflessness is, a, is one nice way to motivate, but is there anything that's in it for the people of Seattle to help take care of you and, and other people in these 10 cities? Yeah, absolutely, and that the first step would be look in the mirror, right? How much of a financial reserve do you really have if things, you know, if, if we get clobbered again with the recession? But also, you know, think of friends and family, right? Of all the acquaintances you have, if somebody you know falls into this, would would you be willing to help? Well, I mean, look around. That's that's what's happening, um, and and so this is this is not uh, you know the, the media likes to portray portray us as a you know bunch of drunks, drug addicts, um, people who won't do anything. Um, but just the idea that we're self-managed. We do all this ourselves. We don't have anyone in charge of this camp who's being paid. Right, we do that um, collectively, and we dis we make decisions. We provide our own security, um, but but the idea that we're just lazy is crazy. So, do you have any concluding thoughts on economic and population growth in Seattle and, and how it affects you personally? Uh, I would just summarize that 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 we have to very seriously look at what we're doing, how this is structured, what's causing the problems with homelessness instead of just you know trying trying to micromanage uh, you know what we have it's it's getting worse it's going to continue to get worse unless we make some significant uh, systemic changes as and in my view that means overhauling not not tweaking so thank you very much Stu. i really appreciate your time and your perspective okay thank you i visited mary's place in northgate and met charlotte wheelock i'm here with charlotte wheelock charlotte thanks for joining me today yeah no problem why don't you start by telling me about your children? So I have two boys. Uh, they're six and eight, Sam and Alex. Um, currently totally obsessed with Pokemon Go. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're awesome. Tell me a little bit more about Alex. Alex is always the star of anywhere we go. He loves to introduce himself to everyone. He has a million questions about the world. We've probably met every dog in Seattle because Alex really likes dogs. So we've pet every dog in Seattle, I think. <laughs> and does Sam share the same love of dogs? He does. He's probably not as outgoing. He's a little bit more reserved. He's like the ki cool kid at school. So he 
he, he keeps it a little more closer to the vest, but he really likes to meet new people, too. And what grade is Sam going into next year? Sam's going into third, and Alex is going into first. Uh, how did Alex like his first year of school, and how did Sam like uh, second grade? Alex loved kindergarten, um, and Sam really enjoyed second grade. So, yeah, they did well. What are some things you like to do with Alex and Sam? They, my boys happen to be part fish, so we do a lot of swimming and playing in the water. Um, so we're currently touring all of the splash pads and wading pools in Seattle. So I think that'll keep us busy this summer. What are your dreams for Alex and Sam? What do you hope for them? <sighs> I just hope that they're happy and that they get to do something in life that they really enjoy. I know it's a little early. Yeah. They're six and eight, but what do you think they're going to grow up to be? Alex wants to be a fireman or a police officer or go into the army. He wants to do something very bold and brave. Sam is still kind of trying to figure out what he wants to do. And how do you know Alex and Sam love you? Um, Alex is a big hugger. So he's very tactile and loves to hug and kiss and hold hands while we walk around. Um, Sam is always drawing pictures. So while I'm at work, he's always making pictures and adventures and stories and all kinds of that kind of stuff. And how long have the three of you been here at Mary's Place? So I have worked at Mary's Place for the past year and a half, but I was introduced to Mary's Place as a client. So about two and a half years ago, it was me and my husband and our two kids who came looking for shelter. Why did you need shelter? So my husband um, has a congenital spinal condition, but we didn't know that until he woke up one morning paralyzed. He was rushed off to the hospital and had four vertebrae in his back fused. During that time, um, I couldn't work because I was trying to take the kids, and we couldn't find childcare in time, and so I lost our apartment. And so we were staying in the car. When Nick came back into the household after learning how to walk again, we started staying in a motel, and I went back to work. But we never could get back on our feet on our own. So when it happened again and he started having symptoms, I looked for shelter and found Mary's place. Take me back to that time where you left your apartment. What... What were you feeling at that point? That was a rough day. So I knew we had been uh, served. I knew that uh, the sheriff was going to come any day now. And so I had kind of a, a go bag in the car. Went to go pick up Sam from kindergarten at the time. And when I came back, we were locked out. Um, yeah, so that was, a, that was a scary moment, just knowing that the inevitable is coming and there's nothing that I can do and there's no one that seems to be able to help. And when you went to your car, what was that like? It's really scary. So I drove the kids around until they kind of fell asleep naturally and then parked in a hospital parking lot since I figured there would be a lot of movement and it seemed like a safe place to be, but it was still really scary. Um, it was the middle of winter, so I had to keep the, the windows really rolled up because it was cold, but it was super hot in the car. So I kept having to roll everything up and down. When the windows were down, I couldn't sleep because I didn't know if someone was going to reach in. So it was not restful time. I probably slept three or four hours a night just trying to stay vigilant. Walk me back even before this all happened. Can you tell me a little bit about your life and whether you had anticipated that you would ever find yourself sleeping in a car? No, we were just a young family. Um, I had finished college. My husband was going to college and staying home with the kids. I was working full time. It seemed like a pretty traditional, all-American kind of young family thing. Um, it seemed very stereotypical, I guess. So you don't 
you don't think those kind of things are going to happen. Um, my husband played football in high school, roughed house with the kids, carried groceries up two flights of stairs. He seemed very healthy, so it wasn't something that we ever expected to happen. Your husband gets the diagnosis. Walk me through kind of the cascading from the stereotypical family that you thought you would be to living in your car. It was super quick. Uh, He woke me up at two in the morning one night and said he couldn't get out of bed, that he couldn't feel anything below his waist. We called an ambulance. He was in surgery by noon that next day. Um, I took time for as much time from work as I could, but I wasn't being paid. And it was right at the beginning of a new pay cycle. So by the time I received my next check, it wasn't enough to pay for rent. And as a young family, we didn't have much of a savings. And so there wasn't enough for rent that time around. Um, So within a couple weeks, we were evicted. It was a really, really quick process. Did you have health insurance at the time? So we had health insurance, and so luckily most of his stuff was covered either with health insurance or with assistance after the fact. Um, So we didn't have a lot of cost out of pocket, but we didn't have anything to pay for our rent or um, to get childcare set up because I wasn't working, I was on leave. I wasn't able to access childcare. It was kind of a catch-22 that I had to be going to work to get childcare, but to go to work, I needed childcare. So it, we kind of got stuck in a cycle. Once you got into that cycle, what were you thinking the future would hold at the time that you were sleeping in the car with your children? It very quickly became what was going to happen in the next 24 hours. There wasn't enough room in my head for a week or a month or six months down the road. It was, what are we having for breakfast? What are we going to do during the day? How much gas am I going to be able to use today? Where are we sleeping tonight? And then what are we having for breakfast? So it wasn't, there wasn't any space to do that. And how was it explaining what you were doing to your children? That's hard. I think for kids, when they realize their parents don't have control over everything. Um, So for my kids to learn that at six and four was not what I wanted for them. How long were you living in the car with your children? So we were in and out of the car when my husband was in the hospital for about three months. So in between that, we did some couch surfing. And if we scrapped together enough money, we'd get a hotel room for a couple days or something. Where did you go after those three months? So after those three months, um, my husband came back into the household from the hospital. And so he could watch the kids and I went back to work. So we bounced around from motels for about five months. And then he had another relapse where he started losing motion in his body. So he went back to the hospital and I just couldn't do it again um, to sleep in the car. And so that's when I called Mary's Place. What did Mary's Place mean to you at that time? Um, It was safety. It was not feeling so alone. I think after a while I felt like the only person going through this in the whole world. And so there was no one to help. Um, And so having other people who were going through it and other people who had gone through it and knew what to do was a huge relief for me. As you think to other parents who are homeless now, either in a car or on the streets with their children, how does that make you feel now that you've been able to find hope? It's a frightening um, thought to think about driving down the street and going home and realizing that people are going to be sleeping behind a building or, and we, now that I'm here at working as a housing advocate, we hear that story over and over again. And so, yeah, it's frightening. And where are you now? Where do you live now? Yeah. So we have our own apartment. Um, 
So walk me through, you got to Mary's place and you've now since moved on from Mary's place as a resident at least. How did that happen and how did that make you feel? So we were able to get childcare um, through a subsidy for homeless families. So I could use that time to find a job to go back to work. Went back to work, my husband came back from the hospital and so we were able to go to a two-parent family shelter. So he was able to join us and be reunited with us. Um, and then we started looking for a place, a landlord that would take us with an eviction on our record. And in Seattle, that's very difficult. So I probably talked to 50 or 60 landlords um, over a four month period. I had a voucher that would help me pay for the first three months of rent. Um, and I finally found an apartment that would take us on and moved in in January. And so what did it mean to you emotionally to get back on your feet? The feeling of walking in my apartment and closing the door and turning that lock is one that I I don't know if there's words for in any language. It was relief and hope and forgiveness and happiness and sadness all kind of wrapped into one. It was the most amazing feeling. And I'll never forget the way my husband plopped down on the couch and put his feet up and it was just like, it was just... I don't know. There's not words for it. It was amazing. If you can get a message out to other families who are living the same stereotypical life that you had, where you have a house, have a healthy husband, kiss their kids goodnight in the bed in their own home, what would you say to them? I think it's a natural human reaction to try to find a reason why this won't happen to you. And so when people hear what's happened to me there's there's going to be that immediate like well that can't happen because we have a we have a savings or we have family or we have great health insurance and there's going to be a reason why you feel different than me and that's a normal reaction but now that i've been working with families for the past year and a half we see everybody we see families who made six figures we see families who have grandparents and parents who live right around the corner and it, tragedy, unfortunately, can happen to anybody. And so instead of trying to feel better that it's not going to happen to you, I think the best thing that you can do is to embrace the families in your community that it's happened to and figure out a way to help. Um, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a big thing. And I think people get caught up in that, too, is they're they're too busy and they are too strapped and they have too many commitments and they can't afford anything else. Um, and it doesn't have to be a big deal. I've seen where moms are just so happy to have a new pair of shoes or a stroller that their kids can feel safe in and take a nap while they do what they need to. And so it can be just the smallest toys that are left over. Um, if you know how to make a resume, we know people who need a resume. It can be, and it can be just talking about it. So you may not have the time or the resources to do anything, but you probably know someone who's renting an apartment or who has a job or who has a stroller in their garage that they're not using. And so it's just to talk about it, just to make a small step because when you're on the other side of it, it's it feels like something so unfixable because it's such a big thing. But if everyone chips in just a little piece, then these families become whole again. And my family was was made whole because of teddy bears my kids got to hold in shelter and 
someone who helped me figure out my resume and someone who gave me a shot as a landlord. And they were just small pieces. No one person changed my life, but it was the work of hundreds of people that brought me back up. And so I think that's something that everyone can do. Charlotte, thank you very much for sharing your story. Uh, glad to hear that it's got a happy trajectory, and I wish you all the best of luck as you continue that trajectory. Thank you. I appreciate it. My final interview is with Marty Hartman, the executive director of Mary's Place. I am here at Mary's Place with Marty Hartman. Marty is the executive director of Mary's Place, which is a leading voice for homeless women and children in Seattle. Marty, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me here. Uh, so why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? So I'm uh, the director of Mary's Place, and my goal is to ensure that no child sleeps outside in our city. Uh, tell me a little bit about Mary's Place in particular. Sure. Mary's Place serves homeless women, children, and families. Our goal is to help them reclaim their lives, and we do that in two ways. We offer overnight shelter for 400 moms, dads, and kids every night of the year. And then we also offer two day centers, one that serves single women and one that serves families. And simply we just bring in about 40 nonprofits to help move families forward faster. How did uh, homelessness become an important issue to you personally? Wow. Um, I've been at Mary's Place for 17 years, but before that I volunteered uh, with a church group offering shelter um, for single women probably for about six years. So I was just passionate about their... Uh, plight, wanting to learn more, and then um, really it all started when I got to be in relationship with homeless women and learned what their needs were, and then it was at that time that I applied to start to run a day center that would offer services to help them move forward in their life. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of Mary's Place? Oh, sure. Uh, so Mary's Place was actually started by the Church of Mary Magdalene back in 1991 was when the Church of Mary Magdalene started, which was really simply a church for homeless and formerly homeless women. And they could bring children, it's just that there wasn't really any children back in those days on the street. And that, um, and in 1999, they saw the need growing and that they wanted to offer resources uh, more than just for church services. So they started, they flew this job for a day center that they were gonna call Mary's Place. And so it started back in 1999 and we had one month to get it going. And essentially, I just went out and asked homeless women. Um, I invited them in. Actually, I bribed them with pizza and pop and a movie if they would come in and tell me what their needs were and how we could design a program that would meet their needs. What changes have you seen uh, as you're serving these needs in the last, let's say, five years, maybe? Well, for the first, you know, 11 or 12 years, we didn't see any children on the street. It was very rare to see somebody with a child. And if we did, we'd get them into shelter. But in 2011, we started to see this huge surge of families on the street, and we just could not keep up with getting them into shelter or keeping them in hotels. We just didn't have the financial resources. So in 2011, we started a rotating shelter. We reached out to the faith community where our roots were, and we started to shelter 14 moms and children with the help of our faith community at night. They would uh, serve them in their churches and temples and synagogues when uh, they didn't have any guests in the building, and uh, they took our families in. So we started with 14 beds back in 2011. We did 2,300 bed nights, and uh, we're on pace to do 100,000 bed nights here in 2016. So what do you think your efforts mean to the people of Seattle? Well, I think it's life-saving to the families we're serving uh, to be able, one, to keep your family together 
is a huge gift. Uh, most people don't realize that there's one requirement to keep your child, and that requirement is access to running water. And so when you're living in your vehicle or barricaded behind dumpsters, you don't have access to that water. And Mary's Place simply gives you that place with running water, but much more. A place to be safe, a place to be together, and a place to set down roots so you can move forward and, and get that forever home. And what are some exciting things going on at Mary's Place? Yeah, so many exciting things going on. I know you just visited the Kids Club and saw the parade of princesses and the Jenga Towers and the Wii Games going on here this summer. Uh, we have over 200 kids in shelter with us tonight, and uh, it's exciting to get make those connections to summer school, to give them the opportunities that every other child has uh, to engage in our community and with our with the community centers and seafair events we're out at everything um that's free we're, we're there um but i think probably the most exciting thing is our partnership that we have now with amazon that we've been able to double our capacity since april 18th and went from 200 beds to 400 beds and looking really at increasing that number our dream is to make sure no child has to sleep outside and our dream is to get to 1100 beds in five years how do you feel that the economic growth in Seattle affects your ability to achieve your future dream there? It's pretty amazing. I would have told you that in this economic boom, we, I would have thought that we would have had um, more challenges to expanding shelter capacity. But the reality is, um, as the need has grown, so has the support in our community, that corporations are standing up, businesses, individuals, um, the faith community saying, what can we do? And Mary's Place is in the position of trying to make homelessness small enough so that people can respond. And so we have been offered more buildings. Um, as you can see, the booms and the, the cranes all over the city, that means that there's buildings that are waiting to be demolished. But until then, we have this scrappy, innovative method where we just go in and transform a building for good while it's waiting to be um, redeveloped. So we can use it to shelter and save lives tonight. And that means a lot to a landlord, right? The building doesn't sit vacant, so it doesn't become um, a place where people can vandalize or break in and squatters take over. We can use an organized um, community-based program that allows people one, to, to find help and support and allows our community to be able to come in and give back and build relationships. And we all know it's relationships that change lives. And if somebody is concerned about a building in their backyard or in their neighborhood being converted to a Mary's Place shelter or some other homeless shelter, what would you say to those concerns? Please come visit. Please come meet the families. See the children. Um, they're the most courageous, bravest families you've ever wanted to meet. Most of them are working two jobs, some of them three jobs. Uh, they're just trying to move their families forward faster. And I guarantee you they want what you want for your children. They want them to have an education. They want them to move out of poverty. And that's the goal for us too. So um, come see, come see before you pass judgment. Just just connect with us. We want to give you a tour and show you the good that a building can do in helping families rebuild their lives. And what do you think is the biggest issue as it relates to home, the rise of homelessness in Seattle? Oh, definitely the increase in rent, the high cost of living. Um, you know, we had somebody, a family of four just yesterday whose rent was raised $170 a month. 
most of us would say, okay, okay, I can suck that up. Let me do that. But for many, many of us, we cannot. And so that forced them to have to leave their home. They wanted to leave on good terms without an eviction. So they left, but they didn't have an option or an opportunity to go anywhere else. And uh, their rents are getting higher and higher and they just can't afford it. So um, it's forcing them in to shelter. And then in terms of our community, as we're seeing the rise of homelessness, what's the biggest challenge facing us as individuals or as members of this, uh, of this community and of this city? The biggest challenge is how do we do better together? And um, where are the opportunities so that we can come together to meet the needs of all of our community? But I think that there's multiple ways to do that. And I think it's just about um, getting the word out and offering options for people to see what you can do to make this a better place to live. We all have um, the ability to give in some way. So let's figure out what that means for you and make that happen. And so there are some that are concerned that building better services for the homeless um, and providing more shelters and food will actually draw more homeless people to the city. This is a phenomenon I've observed at least on a small scale uh, through the interviews that I've done. How do you react to those concerns? That they're all our neighbors in need. And so if we can supply the resources that we need to in the shelter for now to move people forward, let's do it. Let's do it together. I, I don't see um, people wanting to be homeless. And um, I would do everything I could to get my child the resources that we need to move forward um, and to have that stability. And I want that for every family out there. So regardless of what your last address was, if you're here, you're our neighbor. What challenges do you see as it relates to addressing the growing homeless population in Seattle? Uh, Everyone believes that Housing First is the right model. It's just that we don't have enough housing. And while we wait for housing, there has to be enough shelter to keep people safe together, alive, and moving forward. Um, People come to shelter with barriers. We have to address those barriers. So let's give them a platform to be able to work on that while they're in shelter so that when that housing does become available, they're ready and can move in now. As you build more shelters and build more more housing, how do you manage the diversity of people that you're dealing with in terms of some are there for mental illness, some are there for drug abuse, and some are there, as you said, just a rent increase or, or bad luck that could happen to anybody? Yeah, uh, Mary's Place is a magical place like that, that it's the community that comes together to help and respond to the needs of each other. And so by bringing in and inviting in our community members to come beside us and offer those resources by offering those nonprofits the opportunity to come in and share and uh, give the services that they have right on site, um, it's pretty amazing the magic that happens. And when you allow people that ability to develop relationships and to know that they're wanted, that they're invited in, that they're cared for, that they're not forgotten, that's how lives are transformed. So no matter what the issue you came in here with, we're going to have the resources to help you move forward. What do you see as the future of the homelessness issue here in Seattle? It's one by one. Let's help this person today. Let's bring in that child tonight. Let's make it possible for people to restore their dignity and reclaim their lives by offering them the services that they want and need right now. If you could get a message to the people of Seattle about why they should help, how they could help, what would you say? No child should have to sleep outside in our city. 
we have the ability and the resources to bring everyone inside and every family inside. Let's just do it together. Do you have any stories that touched you most uh, in your interactions here? Oh, every day. Every day we have stories and new stories, and every day there's a new kid leaving a school, and we're trying to enroll them in a new school. Uh, children are taking their first steps in a shelter. Uh, new babies being born, and moms coming in and needing that rest and time to bond with their baby. And then you have sick children with chemo that um, are just wanting to pass the next wave of nausea and move out of the car and into a comfortable bed. The stories go on and on. Every story is important and valuable and good, and we're just here to respond every day to every story. While you were giving me a tour, a young lady came and gave you a big hug and said she's moving into a house. When that happens, how do you feel about that? Happy dance. It's just happy, happy, happiness. Um, we love to do the happy dance. We have a whole wall of photos with people with their keys. Um, that, that's the ultimate dream, right? Everybody's working towards that. And I think the beauty here at Mary's Place is everybody celebrates that. No matter if you've been sitting here in shelter four months longer than that mom, um, it doesn't matter. Everybody's excited that somebody's moving forward and getting their keys. So total celebration time. And do you see that celebration happen often? Oh, as off, yes, very, very much so. Uh, that's why we want to capture it in photos and put them on the wall. It's, and it's inspiration to other people. And it's a, it's a reminder that I, too, will get my keys. And can you talk a little bit about some of the specific actions that Mary's Place is doing to help the part-time residents of the shelters help them have that experience? Oh, yeah. Everybody's paired with a housing and wellness advocate here. Everybody's addressing their barriers from the moment they get here, whether it's just getting your IDs or Social Security cards or it's dealing with a payment in arrears and trying to remove that eviction, getting into a job training program or getting a new job. All of those things are possible here. Setting up bank accounts, uh, whatever it takes to help you move forward. We're here. We're ready to go. We're ready with the services and the resources to help you do that. So do you have any concluding thoughts on growth in Seattle and the rise of the homelessness challenge? We can end this if we work together. It's not one nonprofit. It's not won't be one city, one county, or one corporation that will do it. But we will do it because we come together to be in relationship with each other and help our neighbors in need. Marty, thank you very much for your time. It was great to hear your perspective. And thank you for your efforts here in Seattle. Thank you for having me. Now that you have heard from members of Seattle's homeless communities and someone working tirelessly to address the challenges of homelessness, I want to hear from you. Share your thoughts about Seattle's rising homeless population using hashtag SeattleHomeless. Next week, we continue our exploration of Seattle's community members. You've heard about owning a home in Seattle and being homeless in Seattle. Next week, we explore renting in Seattle. You'll hear from Carrie, who is a chef working two jobs. I don't see why there's that much of an increase in the rent. It's just not, like, attainable. And I don't want to work this many hours for the rest of my life. You'll hear from Steve Smith, who builds hardscapes. I haven't seen the wages go up. What I've seen is more competition, is more people doing what I do to, to take, take in the influx of, uh, of uh, new people coming to Seattle. Yeah, not, only, not only that, I can't, even live in, I can't even afford to live in the place where I build build for people anymore. You'll also hear from the first socialist city council member in Seattle in over a century, Shama Sawant. 
uh, housing is simply unaffordable to a lot of people. If you want to make it affordable, then you have to take certain measures, policy measures, m- movements have to fight for those reforms. And what are those reforms? One is rent control, but it's not just about rent control. It's also about using the city's billion-dollar bonding capacity to leverage it over the next, say, five decades to build thousands of city-owned public units of public housing, which will remain affordable into perpetuity. I hope you'll join me for the next episode. And in the meantime, please rate this podcast in iTunes and subscribe if you haven't already. You can check on the website, seattlegrowthpodcast.com, or follow me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman, for more updates.